Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle-aged warriors, Chris Cimino and Rick Summers. And welcome back to Middle-Aged Warriors. We're here again, show number 28. Yes, that's right. You're looking pretty good today. I like I like that shirt. You, you kind of, but people can't see it at home. Yeah, but, uh, it doesn't, trying trans- to, trying, doesn't well, translate well in radio. <laughs> we'll send them a picture. It's, I had a little TV flashback for a minute. Sorry about that. Uh, but it's it's kind of a summary, but it's no longer summer. We are in fall, getting deeper into it. And, of course, we're also getting uh, deeper into the election season. And uh, my partner here, Rick Summers, I know you have some thoughts about what's been going on the last uh, week or two. Well, I mean, it's just been action-packed. First of all, fall is so welcome at this point. I (laughs) I love the cool nights and sleeping without the air conditioning. And for those of us that have to pay Con Ed, (laughs) we're happy to have reduced bills. But yeah, show number 28, the election is hard to believe, like three weeks away, two Mm. weeks away. And uh, I'll be glad when it's over. I really will be. I have a feeling, though, it's going to take a while for it to be over. I mean, we're already hearing how this is going to be challenged. We are not going to know or have, I don't think, an official announcement of a winner and president on election night. I just don't see that happening. I I have a a sickening feeling this is going to be dragged on for quite some time, especially if somebody loses. Now, you told me you voted already? I did vote already. I did get my my mail-in ballot and then drop off at uh, a designated area. Mm -hmm. I'm in New Jersey, so uh, that seems to be... They, they're pushing it in New Jersey, I think, more mm-hmm. in terms of... And I guess it, that varies from state mm-hmm. to state. I'm not I, really sure. I will tell you this, that I did apply for an absentee ballot, which arrived a couple of days ago. So I was thrilled about that. But I fully intend to go on election day to a poll mm-hmm. and vote in person because I, I enjoy that experience. Well, it is something. And it, it, that kind of makes you feel, obviously, more connected to what you're doing when you go into an actual booth and you press some buttons and the curtain closes behind you, you know, but I guess, you know, we're not sure where things are going to be right. as of this recording. You know, COVID is starting to show its ugly head once again here in the tri-state area in and around the city. And there are hot zones and, and places and areas that are being shut down. So who knows by election day? Uh, I hope not, but it could be worse and it could be that much more difficult. You know to why I get really like to go? Is because you get that little sticker. You get the sticker. <laughs> I voted. <laughs> All right. I'll see if I can get one of those for you. I know some people. But, uh, you know, again, uh, we're getting closer to it. And, of course, what we've been watching over the last week or two, we just last night, we saw the vice presidential debate. How, how did you think uh, that went? Besides the fly in his head. Yeah. <laughs> Which I did not notice. But <laughs> apparently Twitter exploded. Oh my God. Mm with a picture of very and you know it was a little black fly on such a white head yes it, what a contrast yeah <laughs> the pictures and couldn't the, hide no really <laughs> that poor fly I, no. i'm glad nobody came out and smacked the fly with a fly swatter which i i think might have been telltale <laughs> <laughs> might have been might have been rude yeah but what did what did you think about you know the outcome and and how uh, kamala handled her first time in, in that kind um of- I, I thought she was Pretty good. I, I I think I wanted her to be stronger. I thought Pence did a really good job mm-hmm. doing what he had to do, which was 
not really answering anything. Well, um, that's, that's a typical political scenario. Uh, don't quite answer the question that you were asked. Well, you know what? And it was interesting because I watched CBS's coverage afterwards, and John Dickerson talked about schooling for debates. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they teach you in debate school, I guess, is you don't answer the question. You find a way to get to something else that right. you want to talk about. So. They make Right, and make your point, and that's what they did. I, I will say this, at least, though. They were both much more civil and respectful yeah. of each other. You felt like you were looking at two professional politicians. Yeah. You know, that's what we had. So, yeah, maybe they didn't get to the nitty-gritty of uh, debating the issues as specific as we would like to have heard, <clears throat> but at least it was a relief to not feel embarrassed about watching it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the presidential first debate was such a... A shame. I yeah. really just wanted to crawl under the chair and hide and yeah. pull down my American flag because I was ashamed to not, be. Not so much cringing, at least, this go-around. Yeah. Uh, NFL season, that's trying to chug along. I don't even, I, as a Jet fan, oh. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm already done. I'm exhausted. I'm done. I can't be bothered. They, as an organization, out of all the teams I root for, and most of them are perennial losers. Occasionally they win. The Jets, to me, are the saddest. <laughs> they, it's just a sad, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a sick patient all the time. They yeah. really are, the, the, whole, the entire organization. So I don't know where that's going. I know they've, they've canceled a couple of games now, or at least one or two games for... Uh, Tennessee, I think. Yeah, for yeah, COVID. the Titans. Um, by the way, I hate the new Jet uniforms. Oh, the, uh, it's basically black with black a little dark green. green. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah, they look like they're wearing superhero outfits exactly. of some kind or something. And, and they're we far know from they're it. not superheroes. They're not playing like it, that's for <laughs> that's sure. That's for sure. MLB playoffs are going on. Um, yeah, I caught a game last night. Uh, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, I guess, beat up on the Yanks. Uh, of course, being a Met fan, I'm not exactly rooting for the Yankees. But, uh, I mean, you have any feelings at all of any team? <laughs> you're paying any, are you really paying any attention to it? No, but I hear that L.A. and San Diego are battling one another mm. for whatever the is it the National League pennant. I don't yeah. even know what it is anymore. Well I'm ashamed. You know, to me it was it's it's a tournament. This was not a season. Yeah. This was just kind of a, a, a long tournament. And we lost a rock icon also yeah. this past week. This was and I wasn't a huge fan, but I gotta no. tell you, I, mm. I always liked him and uh I was really sad and know he's been struggling for a long time. We're talking about Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a real decent guy, and I was really touched by what his son Wolfgang mm. uh, posted. That was pretty uh, awesome, wasn't it? To, yeah, to, to have your son do that is just yeah. amazing. Uh, those words were amazing, and you know, over the years, he was married to my I know young R. crush that I had. Yeah, me too. Did you really? Yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. I just adored <clears throat> Valerie Bertinelli. Absolutely. I, I adored her. I still do. Yeah, and she's really a sweet, sweet person. Uh, she's been on the Today Show a few times, and and my girlfriend has worked with her, you know, in in the makeup room, and she's just a really, really sweet person. She was actually there uh, with also Eddie's with current his wife, current wife, yeah. Bedside. Uh, so sad, sad to see the passing of something like that. But man, you know, he battled this for quite some time. He was a fighter. He yeah. had this for several years. This was absolutely, going on, so. and he had, uh, you know, a big part of his tongue was taken out mm-hmm. from tongue cancer, and it's it was really it's tragic. Yeah, and you know. He claimed it was from a particular pick that he used, uh, and he would always have it in his mouth when he was playing. Really? And he thinks that might have been the reason that started that, which is kind of bizarre, but Mm. that was something that he had written about uh, a long time ago. So, on today's show, we've got a very... I'm really... I'm very excited about this. I am, too. Because I'm a big fan of 
sitcoms and the concept behind sitcoms and how they're created. Uh, so uh, tell the folks who we have today. We have a guy who is an Emmy nominee uh, for his work on a TV special called I Love Lucy, the very first show. <laughs> and he is a People's Choice Award winner. And his name is Billy Van Sant, a Jersey boy. Yeah. Well, uh, there's another Van Zant that people know about as well. Yes, <laughs> which is his, I, don't know, I believe uh, little Stephen is Billy's younger brother. Is he young? He might be a younger brother. I believe brother. so. Yeah, might be a younger brother. Maybe this, not. this is a talented family, though, yes, let's be it honest. Is. It really it is. is. But he's, he's done some amazing work with uh, incredible, iconic, comedic talent. I can't wait to years. ask him some questions yeah. about it. So maybe we'll get to that in a couple minutes. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, he has a book that was just published this year uh, with his, his longtime friend and writing partner, uh, Jane Milmore, who just sadly recently passed away. So we'll talk about all of that. Lots going on there. Uh, before we get uh, we get Billy uh, on the Zoom call, uh, when are uh, we going to end the Zoom? I know, really. I had enough Zooming. I know. Uh, any, any other final thoughts before we get to the interview? No, um, I'm just... Glad it's fall. I can't wait for snow. Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. What can I say? The ex-meteorologist who that became a word that meant uh, nothing but a headache. And I still get agita just when somebody talks about snow, that's even my though crust I love to, snow. That's my cross to bear. I like snow. Exactly. Sorry. All right. With that, we're going to call in our, our guests for today. And uh, let's get to it. Billy Van Zandt. Hey, Billy, it's great to have you on board. Welcome to Middle Age Warriors. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. How, how does it feel to be a middle age warrior? <laughs> uh, I'll let you know when I get there. Oh, <laughs> you know, we've had a wow. few guests who like they really sidestep this. Yeah, thing. really. I like the way I like that. Yes, I like I, the way you're thinking, though. That's cool. Would you like to drag her back I now? <laughs> I still look in the mirror and think well before i look in the mirror i still think i'm 30 years old horrible time but yeah i mean the, the question that chris and i keep asking ourselves is how the hell did we get here yeah we I can't know. figure out how we're hosting a show called middle-aged warriors when we both feel a lot younger than we are we, we uh, right before the pandemic hit my my 25th play we were touring around the country it's called the boomer boys musical and it's about all the changes that men go through when they hit a certain age. And uh, one of the songs is uh, The Mirror Doesn't Know. And always, <laughs> the lyric yeah. is about how you feel one thing and then you look in the mirror and it's something completely different. You never thought you'd end up like that, you know? Well, I have to tell you, knowing that show, and I haven't seen it, but knowing what it's about was really what propelled us to want to have you on board talking okay. about you know, essentially what, what it's like to be a man getting older, um, and especially in the world that you're in, um, in, in Hollywood and in film and television and sitcoms in particular. It's interesting because out here, if you, it does, your age doesn't seem to matter if you're writing drama, mm -hmm. but if you're writing comedy, they want 20 year olds. Right. Unless you're Chris, uh, Chuck Lorre or somebody who's been doing it for a long time. So <laughs> the way it normally works when you're starting out out here, is nobody wants, you have a great idea for a show, nobody cares. They don't know who you are. <laughs> so then you get on a writing staff. And if it's a good show, suddenly you have about a seven year window where you can go pitch whatever you want. They listen to you and they're happy to have you. And, and the pitches are real short. One of my shortest pitches literally was 
Seinfeld for, for teenagers, Soul. That was, that was at, <laughs> well, the height of our thing. And as, as the years go on, I don't know if it's ageism or it's how many chances are they going to give this guy and he hasn't created Seinfeld yet, you know? Right. But, but what started out as make maybe a one-sentence pitch, Seinfeld for teenagers, now when I go to pitch, they want to know what the character had for breakfast, mm. what color shirts he going to wear, you know, and it, it's, you have to spell everything out and you're pitching to people who have no idea what your history is. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that is, uh, obviously that is the point when there's the sort of that, the, I didn't realize there'd be an ageism even behind the scenes from the perspective of just writing. We look at things all the time and you see people on camera and, and you know, I've spent years in television and you see it gets younger and younger and you get older and older and you get pushed further and further to the back of the room till eventually you're not in the room anymore. That's but I didn't realize that existed in, in, in what you're doing. So let's go back a little bit to the beginning. So you're from New Jersey, correct? Red Bank? I am proudly from New Jersey, uh, born in Red Bank. And my family has been in New Jersey since uh, the 1640s. <laughs> really? Wow. Pre-pandemic. My kids were the first uh, Van Zandt's not born in New Jersey in all that time. And I feel very guilty about it. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to push Adrienne on a plane right before they were born. But <laughs> didn't go for it. So, but yeah, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, started out in theater. Started writing to give myself something to act in. And then the plays took off, had a life of their own. And that brought me out to Hollywood to write for television. Do you miss acting? I still do it. I still, yeah. not as much as I... I did. I, I, I act in all the plays we've written. So once a year, we had a, we had a routine where we'd be out here uh, doing television. And then during the spring hiatus, when other people would go on wonderful vacations, right. Jimmy Milner, my partner and I would go back to New Jersey and we'd put on a show. And then as it just kept going back and forth for almost, over 30 years, we were doing that. Wow. So you've, you've written and published over two dozen plays, correct? 25 shows, yeah. Wow, wow. that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And uh, I think six, I can't remember now, six of them I think were up in New York, off-Broadway, and then uh, we published them with Samuel French, then they get done around the world. It's been fun, I've been traveling around the world now. I go to, I went to uh, Warsaw, Poland to see two of my shows that just happened to be at two different theaters in the same week. And it was really? Like, yeah, that's it's crazy. really fun. Tell so, me, because I'm curious, because we really want to see Boomer Boys, yeah. Uh, where is it? When will it be in New York? When will theater ever be in New York again? Well, that, that's a good question. We were, um, it's a, it's a four, it's a four man uh, musical review. It's a, it's a comedy. And we, we were touring the entire country and then the world shut down. So as of right now, we do not have any dates set uh, to go. Cause I don't know when, I don't know when, Theaters are going to want to book us, and I also don't want to be responsible for two weeks after somebody sees my show, they're dying. You know, yeah. so, you know, got to got to be sensible about it all. I think live theater is a long way off, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, a lot of theaters I know out here, uh, a lot of theaters are taking out seats in their theater, and maybe they'll. 30, but no theater can survive on thirty percent capacity, so I don't know right. how that will work. Yeah, they were too. They're, they're small venues to begin with, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So how old are you? What your first play? Give me a rough age you were when that was fine, when that was published and accepted and you actually had a real play out there? Uh, 19, maybe. Wow. Wow. Do you think it's different today, though, to, to do that? Or do you were you in a time where maybe it was easier to get some? Because I talk to people who are playwrights and attempting and they tell me, I mean, it is hell 
it is so difficult to get something published. If you're writing serious drama, it is hell. If you're really? writing comedy, there's a lot of theaters that want to do comedies. Oh, you know, yeah. interesting. Every summer stock between the musicals, you slide in a comedy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> interesting. We all want to laugh. The first show we did was Love, Sex, and the IRS, and that's right. right <laughs> and uh, and that was that was the first one I saw done by other people too. Uh, Jane, my my writing partner, her uncle just happened to be driving through the streets of Hawley, Pennsylvania, and saw a poster for our show right after we had published it. So I immediately got in the car and drove up there to see our show for the first time that we weren't in. And uh, we became very friendly with the people at the Rich Company Playhouse, and they do one of our shows almost every year. So we almost oh, go wow. I might be one of the only people that you know that knows Holly, Pennsylvania. I actually worked up in the Northeast PA for a while. So. Yeah, I love it up there. I love it up there. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, because your book is titled Get in the Car, Jane, um, which obviously is Jane Milmore. And I want you to tell us a little bit about your history with Jane and how this became the title of your book. I know it's a great story. Jane and I met in high school. We were in, at opposing high schools in a uh, theater competition at the Barn Theater in Rumson, New Jersey. And uh, the, the producer uh, put us into Neil Simon's Star Spangled Girl that summer. That was the first show we did together. And we toured that for maybe two, three years all around New Jersey. And uh, this was the, the age of dinner theater at its height where if any restaurant that had any space whatsoever, shove a stage in it and we yeah. come in and do a show, you know. <laughs> uh, and we started dating immediately and uh, we'd break up and we'd get back together and break up and that went on for 13 <laughs> years. And uh, finally, we came to our senses and said, you know, let's, let's stop doing this. And uh, right as we broke up for the last time was right when we hit big in TV. So we sort of looked at each other and were like, all right, just suck it up there, bring it in the money truck. <laughs> suck it up. Hey. So, uh, but we went, we worked together for uh, 46 straight years. That's incredible. Uh, without one day off, including the breakup, the, the, uh, we, we were bitter enemies. We finally crept back together as friends and we became best friends, of course. And that was all without missing one single day of work in 46 years. I have to tell you that one of my favorite uh, lines in your book was that your mom taught you from her Italian heritage, I believe, how to hold a grudge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I come from that same school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, unfortunately, uh, like, I don't remember any good reviews. I remember the bad reviews. <laughs> you have the list of people who have wronged you, you know. Uh -huh. Oh, uh, yeah. Don Rickles used to call it, uh, it was Italian Alzheimer's. You forget everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. I'm like, that's a, that's a good that one. is great. I can identify with that. So take us from now, you're, you were a playwright. How did you get into the television side of things? And what was your first foray into TV uh, writing? We, we, uh, I, I had done a couple of movies um, while we were still, as an actor, while we were still writing. And the plays, um, they brought us out here to write for Bob Newhart. They were looking for playwrights to bring right. out to the writing staff. And Mark Egan and Mark Solomon, who ran that show, uh, they were from the theater. And for, luckily for me, they were also from, uh, they were protégés of Bob Carroll Jr. and Madeline Davis, who had written for I Love Lucy. Right. And the reason I wanted to go into show business, I wanted to do that kind of comedy. So they hired Jane and me to uh, to write for the Newhart show, the one up in Vermont with Larry Darrow and Darrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, 
I wasn't sure we were going to take it at first. I called up my acting agent and I said, Maggie, I don't know if I should do this. It's going to take me out of the uh, out of uh, auditions for a, a year. I don't know if I should do it. And she never called me back. So I figured, I figured, well, I didn't everything to lose. And we put that job and uh, Bob Newhart spoiled me for everybody that came afterwards. He was just the greatest guy, he is the greatest guy. You spoke very highly of him in, in the book and, and talked about just what really a like he him. was. like him so much. And uh, then one show led to another show and suddenly the, 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 one of the main reasons we stayed in TV uh, give you an idea as an actor I had auditioned for the Newhart show the week before they hired us as writers well wow. they, they made us park off the lot <laughs> because I was an actor you know you, you don't get a parking space right so I, had, I had to walk through the lot it was a hundred degrees I'm sweating like <laughs> I, I asked the, I asked the secretary you know can I have some something to drink she said uh no but you can go to the men's room and stick your head under the faucet <laughs> oh great wow two wow. weeks later literally two weeks later Jane and I were being interviewed as writers drive onto the lot we park next to the sound stage can we yeah. get a drink it was like you know what the acting thing can wait yeah. and, and we've always uh thrown ourselves into little bit parts in in uh, yeah. some of the tv shows but uh so i've kept my hand in through the act through the plays but uh, the writing has mostly been tv and then alternating with the plays I'm glad you're here today because I've had an interest in this for a long time about sitcom writing. I'm a big fan of many sitcoms over the years. I'll watch them over and over and over again and find things in them sometimes on the 20th and 25th viewing that I didn't get before or a nuance of a look or whatever it might be. But the, the concept to me was this: there were sitcoms, which means situation comedy, which means the characters have to be created and put in situations to make it funny. That takes time. That takes more than one episode. I think back in the day when a show was accepted, you got, I don't know, how many episodes up front? Did you get like eight or how, what did they sign off on typically? Way back, like in Lucy days, they got 39 episodes. I mean, oh <laughs> right, so think of that. When now, I, now I what is it? 13 and, 13 and then they'd pick you up for nine more. Uh, if, if they thought you were going to do well. Uh, and, and now mostly, these are network shows, uh, maybe 27 on a, on, a, on a full year. But Netflix and those kind of shows, 10 episodes and out, which I right. love the idea of. But I think on, on, I've seen on network sometimes a show, I think maybe four or five episodes and it's, it's gone, you know, because oh, yeah. it didn't do very well. But from the writing standpoint, uh, I, I watch some comedies now, I'm not going to name names, but I can't, I just can't, I can't. It just, it's basically set up line, set up line, joke. Set up line, set up line, joke. They're telling jokes. That's not situation comedy. That's not writing, they're telling That's jokes. That's right. We did it, we, we were asked to write a show for Disney. And I said, that was Disney, we wrote for Martin Lawrence and Andrew Dice Clay, they want us to write. <laughs> so they, they brought us over and we, they hired us and we wrote a, a really funny script. And the, and the, the notes afterwards, when they read it, it was like, well, where are the jokes? Mm. So what do you mean, where are the jokes? There are six laughs on the first page. Well, I don't see them yeah. because they weren't set up jokes. They were character jokes, you know, the character driven thing, which is how it should be. And that's what makes the difference between a good show and a bad show. The one thing I will say in, in, uh, in support of anyone who does have a terrible show on the air, I know, what the, I know the jumps they had to go through to get them on the air. 
they're never the show. They're never the finished product you really want it to be uh, right. initially until you get a little power and then suddenly leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I show the way I want. Knowing what people have to go through and all the different notes and everybody is micromanaged now. So uh, even bad shows, I always think, well, good for you. You got it on. <laughs> really? It's something. Right? What made Lucille Ball so spectacular in your eyes? Two things, I would say. One is she was one of the very few people who are able to do this. She could do the most outrageous, outlandish things, and you believe them. They weren't fake. They weren't somebody trying to be funny. They were a character in a ridiculous situation trying to make the best of it. Very few people have gotten away with doing that. Um, and, and secondly, her, her timing is impeccable. Um, if you look at some of the shows, uh, like the candy, the, the, the yeah. Yeah. factory, that, that came to mind immediately. Yeah. Those aren't, those aren't scripted laughs that she's getting because it's all in, it's all in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, and when she's stuffing them down her shirt and sucking on, <laughs> that was all, that was all Lucy's timing. And that's something you're born with. That's something you, it's a, it's a rhythm. It's a, it's a musical rhythm basically. And uh, hers was the best. And, and, and through her, I learned to love Buster Keaton. Uh, and I didn't realize at the time until I started studying a lot is that he coached her at MGM when he was after he was uh, done with his major career he was a gag man at, at MGM and he mm -hmm. took her under wing and, and he taught her and he taught her how to use her prop and so I through her I love him and you know pretty there was pretty, a there was there was a degree of physical comedy embedded in it she really balanced that so well because yeah. sometimes some comedians are purely physical and then there's not much beyond that depth, but she really had both. She mastered both. Yeah. And she didn't care what she looked like when right. she was laugh. You know, we, I, I've worked with some ladies who, you know, give me some, give me some Lucy stuff to do. I was like, what do you mean by Lucy stuff? <laughs> and they, they mean some big physical thing. And then, uh, you know, there was, there was one where, you know, we said, okay, we'll, we'll give her a, a thing at a pie eating contest. That'll be, you know, and by the time we ended up filming it, she wanted a wig so her hair didn't get messed up. She oh. had it, you know, she had to do it with a knife and a fork. I was like, no. Wrong. Oh, <laughs> no. Not funny. Not funny. Yeah. Uh, you talked about Bob Newhart before. Is there anybody else or in particular even be above that for you that was the best person to work with? Don Rickles. Yeah. Who was it? Don Rickles, without question. Uh, the sweetest man in the world. Like you, could, you can see why the two men... Bob and, and Don were best friends. They were very much alike, except Don, you know, what his act was, and Bob was very low key. Uh, but Don was so much fun, and he was, um, he was very insecure too, which I thought was very strange. We had dinner with him once, and we were walking out of the restaurant, and Warren Beatty and Gary Shandling were walking in, and Don just stopped, and for 20 minutes, just ripped them apart. <laughs> how big Warren Beatty's head was and Gary Handling sleeps with animals and he was just kept going on and on and on and we were all crying and the guys didn't say a word they just stood there and they laughed and they cried and we walked outside and Don very timidly turned to Jane and me and said did I did I do okay oh. yeah it's, uh, and, uh, uh, sweet guy I love his whole family uh, I still love his family his, his wife uh, Barbara Great people. No, in terms of uh, sorry, you've 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 talked about running into some some. I, I don't want you to name names, but have you had talent you had to deal with that almost every line that you wrote they want to do differently, they got to play it differently than you see it, and how did you deal with that if you did have to deal with it? 
Uh, initially, every stand-up comic I've worked with, and I've worked with a lot, that most mm -hmm. of our sitcoms have been around, based around stand-up comedians, they don't trust you at first, and I don't think they necessarily should, mm -hmm. because they've been their own writer, their own producer, their own actor, for, director for years before they ever come to us, and suddenly you know, they're coming to an executive producer who says, I know you've been doing this for you know, 10 years, whatever, but now I'm going to tell you what's funny and what's not funny. <laughs> so you have a, there's a weird little trust uh, moment you have to get through. For the most part, if you're smart, if you're a smart producer, you will listen to them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but if it doesn't, and I, and I do this with writers who work for me too, if, if whatever they're pitching is not propelling the story forward, I don't want it in the script. Mm -hmm. So you may have the greatest joke in the world. Phyllis Dillard actually taught me this. Uh, she said, if you have a joke that's brilliant and only 50% of the audience gets it, it's the wrong joke. <laughs> you know? And uh, so a lot, of times, a lot of times you'll find ways to work the, uh, the stand-up comedian's bits into the show, but they have to be part of the story. I wanted to ask you if you've actually ever done stand-up. I did in one of our plays. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was harassed uh, by a bunch of people that I, why don't you do stand-up? You have to do stand-up. I said, I'll write it into a play. So I did. I played a stand-up in a show called A Little Quickie. And uh, it was fun. I enjoyed doing it. And uh, I probably should have gone that route at some point, but I just never did. I don't know. I liken doing stand-up comedy to being circumcised when you're 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always, we'd always go to the comedy stores. Every, every season when it came time to write a show, the agents would send you to the comedy store and look at all the new people. And you can tell in three seconds, that guy's got an act you can do something with. Nope, that guy, I don't know what he is, you know? So, but I like working with stand-ups. I do. But for you, Billy, in terms of you've done a lot of different uh, writing, what's your favorite form of writing? Is it TV, plays, film? What, what would it be if you had to choose one? Theater. I like doing the plays. Yeah, really? Because uh, you're in control. You're in control of what you're doing. When I first started in TV, uh, Sam Bobrick, uh, a playwright who also wrote for television, he sat me down. He said, you're a playwright. Yes. And I said, yes. He said, well, then you're used to being the top of the pyramid and everyone in the theater works to please you. Welcome to television. You are a blueprint and people are going to do whatever they want with your work. <laughs> he said, if you don't understand that now, you're going to have a problem. Mm. And I did it first. I, somebody wanted to change hello in my script to hi. I got offended. Like, what was wrong with hello? You know, <laughs> then... But when you run your own show, you do it your own way. And until then, your job as a writer on a, writing, on a writing staff is to imitate the creator of the show. You're imitating his or her writing. That's your job. It doesn't matter if you think you're better than them or, or you're, you know, whatever. You have to imitate them. And then when you get your own show, you do things your way. I have a question, but we'd be remiss in, in also not, not mentioning this. Uh, get in the car, Jane. Right. Uh, and Jane, we, we, you lost Jane back in February, correct? I did. We did. Um, yeah, she fought, she fought pancreatic cancer for 15 months. Oh, was, my God. Uh, and it came out of left field. She had no symptoms. She just turned yellow one day and uh, went into the doctor. And they said, guess what? You have pancreatic cancer. And we kept thinking it was a wrong diagnosis. We kept, she kept trying different things. We, and we really thought it was a bump in the road and it was not going to be as serious as it was until about two weeks before she died. She insisted we work the entire time. So two days a week, I was going out to her house and we were working on scripts and stuff. And uh, it's, it's, 
it's mind numbing to me that she's not with me anymore. Um, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible loss and I don't know if I'm going to get over it, but we'll, we'll yeah. see. Was she alive to see the book come to fruition? Yeah. Yeah. She actually helped edit the book. Uh, at one point she said, I didn't throw a teapot at you. I threw a vacuum cleaner at you. <laughs> <laughs> Correction. <laughs> and she Other picked details. <laughs> but, but yeah. And to light, to lighten it up the history of, of the title of the book, there's a kind of cute story about that. Uh, get, yeah. get in the car, Jane. Where did that come from? It was sort of a running joke between uh, the two of us uh, when we quit uh, our first TV show. Uh, that's what I said to her. Uh, she said, you know, they, they were doing something with our script we didn't like and we were young and stupid. So, you know, she said, what do we do? I said, there's only one thing to do. We have to quit. Get in the car, Jane. And we <laughs> left. And then that became a running gag for us anytime we were in a bad situation. Which one, one would lean to the other and goes, get in the car. I mean, let's get out of here. <laughs> it's kind of like, check, please. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do you want to do the lightning round? We have sure. One? We have a, a new feature that we're going to test on you. Oh, God. Uh, All right. Okay. There are no wrong answers. It's basically we'll decide if there are wrong answers or not. It's a lightning <laughs> round. Basically, we're going to throw some stuff at you, and you get to choose A or B. One from column A, one from column B, and it's just something we're trying because we thought it would be just a, a great way to break the ice. Not that we need to break the ice now, because I think our ice is pretty much broken. We're under the ice. Yeah. Now we're chewing on the <laughs> ice, but um, and the first one is Ginger or Marianne. Marianne. Hmm. Red, white, or rosé? Neither. I'm allergic to all three. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. Tequila or scotch? <laughs> uh, scotch. Okay. Dog or cat? Dog. Flintstones or Jetsons? Ah. I'll go Jetsons. Yeah, interesting. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. First concert? Steel Mill with my brother and Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> wow. Uh -huh. That's yeah. impressive. Stuffing or potatoes as we approach Thanksgiving? Always potatoes. I, I actually have them in almost every meal. I'm a, I'm a fan. And finally, first president you ever voted for? Ah. Herbert Hoover. <laughs> no. <laughs> you like it? No. <laughs> I think it was, it probably was, how old was I? Uh, probably Jimmy 18. Carter. Maybe Jimmy Carter. 18 would be what? Yeah, I was trying to remember yeah. myself on that one, do the math. That was, I, um, Carter no. was elected in 78. No, that would be too late. 76. And then Reagan was after that. Right. Reagan was 80, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah 80, 76 exactly. to 80. Oh, it's so probably much. Gerald Ford or somebody, right? Yeah. yeah. I think I voted for somebody by the name of Anderson. He was like the That's independent. Who I voted for. John Anderson. John Anderson, see? Uh, so did uh, I. Yeah. We, were, we were liberals, man. We were way ahead of our time. Absolutely. Thinking outside the box. <laughs> I talked my grandmother into voting for John Anderson at the time, and, and afterwards she, she hit me. She said, he lost. <laughs> <laughs> He lost. It wasn't even close. Uh, <laughs> uh, really, it's been great having you here. And we want to again mention the book, Get in the Car, Jane. We can You can find that Amazon, anywhere? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, either one, yeah. Adventures in TV Wasteland. That's it. And uh, we are so appreciative that you carved out some time to speak with us. Hope middle age is treating you as fine as you treat all of us in middle age with a lot of laughs and a lot of great writing. Thank you. And when I get back in out on the road doing Boomer Boys musical, I'll come back and visit you again. Yeah, that would be great. That would That'd be awesome. Be great. We need laughter, especially now more than ever. And we I appreciate did. everything you do to make that happen. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Stay well. Thanks. Heal Thanks, that back. Bye. Be good.
Take care. Bye. Be well. That was a lot of fun. He, what an affable guy. He really is. And, you know, a career that when you start to go, you know, step by step through his bio and you see the shows he's been involved with and the, just the icons that he worked with. Yeah. You know, Rickles. He got to hang out with Lucille Ball. And, I know. You know, there's just so many great, great stories. I really hope that people will pick up the book and read it because it is, it's an interesting story. Get in the car, Jane. Adventures in the TV Wasteland. <laughs> and that's written by Billy Van Sant, who we just spent a half hour with talking about his career, his book, and a bunch of other little doodads here yeah, and there. I found it funny right up at the top, and we've had this happen with with a few guests, when you say, how does it feel to be a middle-aged warrior? It's like, who are you talking well, to? Yeah. I'm not... <laughs> who are you talking to? <laughs> wow, excuse me. I mean, I don't, I don't feel that uncomfortable wearing that, but I understand exactly where he's coming from. You know, the the body starts to betray the mind. You know, you think you're 30 until you do look in the mirror or you look at yourself and, ooh, that's not 30 anymore, is it? No, and he, he was talking about that in a show that he wrote called The Boomer Boys, The Musical, mm. which uh, at some point I really hope uh, we do get a chance to see. Maybe they'll make a movie. Yeah, I mean, well, the concept behind that is right up yeah. our alley. I know that yeah. much. But, uh, again... Great interview. I hope we get to have him back when that play is uh, finally out there and people are uh, able to go back into theaters. Of course, unfortunately, it's probably going to be a little while yet. But uh, again, uh, another show well done, Rick. Any Thank any you. final thoughts? Uh, just uh, really, I didn't know what to expect. And uh, he was a pleasure to talk to. And geez, we didn't even bring up the fact that uh, his brother is part of Bruce Springsteen's band. Yeah, little Stevie. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's got a career of his own going on, and, of course, his lovely wife, Adrian Barbeau, of 28 years, and he has uh, two very handsome young men as, as sons, so uh, he's got the full plate going there. But, you know what? You know, when Boomer Boys, the musical, makes the rounds, we're going to have him back. Absolutely. All right, with that, uh, all of you listening in, thanks again for listening in. Tell your friends. Tell your yeah. friends to tell their friends. Uh, things are looking up with us here so we want to keep the momentum going and uh, I hope Middle Age Warriors on the Believe Podcast Network is a place that you can escape from all of the heaviness sometimes out there and uh, maybe our voice is a little bit of your voice maybe we can only hope with that sunshine always be good feel good vote often (laughs) (laughs) no don't say that sorry we'll get you in trouble in the first place alright Chucho signing off Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, We're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts.
vote often? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say that. Sorry. <laughs> so we'll get you in trouble in the first place. All right, Chucho, signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.